Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Repeat offender on the podcast today, one of my favorites who I talk about on almost every interview that I ever do on what is my favorite documentary and movie to see on the topic of paleo-primal ancestral health, and that is The Perfect Human Diet. And its writer and director, CJ Hunt and producer, is with us today. He's the host of that breakout film and the first paleo documentary, The Perfect Human Diet, also the author of the How-To Companion Guide of the same title. And CJ's been in broadcasting and investigative journalism for over 20 years, from TV host to voiceover. And literally, that documentary is one of my favorites, and they are doing a version two, which we're going to talk about today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Al. Excited to be here. Uh, like I said, I really do promote your film because oftentimes seeing and watching and hearing and being spoken to is the best way for us to receive information versus read a book. Sometimes it's just, it really sinks in. And I know people that have gone paleo just from seeing your documentary. They knew nothing about Mark Sisson or The Primal Blueprint or any kind of other paleo books. They just saw this documentary and they were like, this makes sense. And it does because it really is the science behind the validity of why we do this. So let's start with why a perfect human diet too, and what's the need for that? Okay, well, and I think part of it is, just like you said, I know for myself, I learn better visually. When I see something and I see the story and I take it in and I hear it at the same time. And so in the same fashion, I think it's really important to take on these subjects and these investigations in a manner that where the people can kind of go along with you and see everything themselves, not just take my word for it and um, come to their own conclusions. And, and you're right. The first one was really uh, very gratifying that a lot of folks have written in and said things like that, like, wow, this really made all the difference in the world to me. And, you know, I'm getting great results and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's a, I think it's a really world, worthwhile effort to uh, keep going at this. Well, let's talk about some of the movies that have come out that this is somewhat of a response to, or at least I guess I think of it as you putting our collective foot into this field. I myself have spoken about some of the falsities either online or on a podcast. We've had Dr. Forsman on and other doctors who've seen some of these movies that are out there that are just forks over knives, cowspiracy, what the health. And this propaganda is really declaring that animal foods are the number one enemy. And so they're painting this doomsday scenario, you know, um, and I, let's talk about why it's important to counteract that message. Well, it's important for a number of reasons is that this, as you say, it's propaganda. People accept it as the truth and it's reinforced by this whole stream of new anti-animal food films that, you know, over and over again, they release two or three a year. So, and they're unquestioned. You know, nobody says, well, wait a minute. You know, just because they say it, is it true? Is it the fact? And the trouble is, it's not just harming people on an individual level, which I pers personally feel is happening. You know, if they, if they follow their recommendations and they're missing really important essential nutrients out of their diet, they can have all sorts of trouble occur out of that. But it's affecting 
all of our collective ability to continue to have an unencumbered access to healthy animal foods. You know, the, the thing is, is that I think a lot of people don't really understand within our communities and within the ethical omnivore community is that, that this stuff is affecting policy. Now, we see it a little bit because of the food plate and that the, the carb science and those kinds of things are presented but ignored um, by the powers that be that sit on the dietary guidelines committee uh, because they don't agree. You know, And in fact, you may have heard that last time when they printed up their summary, they basically said that, well, there was no other evidence presented, which of course, was outrageous, you know, but, but nobody really, you know, um, challenges them, you know, on that. Right. They don't, and they don't stand up to scrutiny. I mean, these, some of these claims from (laughs) the, the sort of, uh, it, it is vegan advocacy films, really a lot of them. And again, Hey, look, by the way, nothing wrong with that choice in life as a person, but it's the advocacy part that leans into false, false statements about meat. I have known, let's just go through one of them, for example, to start off with that. um, I know you've mentioned in some of your material, but I like to get into it because I've known a lot of people who have mentioned that they became a vegetarian or a vegan because, and here's the reason, because it's bad for the environment. This one kills me. Okay. Cause you know, I've seen, you know, you'll watch like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the environment. And I watch some environmental film and in it, they're like, the cows and but I'm looking at the the cow feedlots and I'm looking at the non-pastured, sludgy, muddy, crappy, shitty cows. That's what I'm looking at in those films. That's different. So can you explain to our audience how eating meat, particularly the ethical farming, pasture raised, you know, uh, that we promote in this community, how that is pro environment and and what and how they're mixing that message, you know, because it's sneaky and a lot of people then go, oh my god. It is bad for the environment. It's like, no, those cows are, right? Well, yeah, that's that's part of it. But here's something that you might find um, particularly interesting because, yes, they say that all the time and they clump everybody in together and they throw out the baby with the bathwater. And part of my position is that things are serious with the environment, with the planet, with people's health. And we can't afford to ignore any kind of possible uh, solution or step in the direction of a solution um, that can help save the planet, literally, is, is what the whole idea is. And what the vegetarians and vegans do, and particularly in these films, they are so anti-animal foods that then they come back and say, well, what about this? What about pasture and all that stuff? And here's what they say. The illusion of eco-beef. Those same two filmmakers came out and said, oh, well, then none of that's true. It doesn't help the planet. And it doesn't make any difference. It's an illusion that that the way they're raised makes a difference in the negative impact to the environment, which is, of course, just not true. But their followers, of which there are many, are, you know, they just take it hook, line and sinker without examination. And and then they spread it, you know, and, and as if it were true. You know, it's well, and let's jump on that. The fact that, listen, you know, it's not just that they believe it. They believe it because it is coming from some big Hollywood people. 
you know? Um, and these advocate for films, there's got some big guns behind them. And that's why, and look, while we all respect the filmmaking of James Cameron and all sorts of other things, he's got a movie called, right? Uh, Vegan advocacy film, the game changers, um, which he's executive producing coming out. And that is, um, really all about promoting itself as sort of the world's most dangerous myth that meat is necessary <laughs> for life. Right. And well, yeah, that's they, not a that's, myth. That's actually literally DNA. Scientific. But that, mean, you know, that's their sales pitch. It's that the world's most dangerous myth that meat is necessary for protein strength and optimal, optimal health. You know, really? Yeah. It's like part of the big part of the message is you can be a real man. If you eat vegetables, you don't just have to eat meat. So it's very testosterone driven from all the reviews I've read. Mind you, I have not seen it. I've only read the reviews from, you know, that have shown up because they're going around uh, showing in film festivals right now in order to build up press and, you know, get it acknowledged in that fashion before it goes into wide release. But you're right. The problem here is you, you you know, people can kind of go, hey, and these two little filmmakers from Santa Cruz, yeah, what the hell was popular? Very popular. Yeah, Cowspiracy was popular. Very popular. And people continue to push that and believe that. But as you say, here comes James Cameron. Well, why should we care anymore? Well, you think Avatar and you think Titanic. I mean, these people are hugely influential. You know, they can really turn the course of a lot of people's thinking simply because of who they are. And again, it's uh, Mr. Cameron and his wife have decided to become vegetarian and vegan because they think it's better for their health. And they started a foundation, you know, and they're trying to get schools to change their menus and all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, kind of that personally driven um, local level, personal level advocacy type of stuff. But now here comes a major film. From one of the big, yeah, from one of the biggest filmmakers ever, <laughs> you know, in Hollywood, you know, the only thing that might show them up is if, you know, Spielberg and E.T. came out and said they were vegan. But, um, you know, it's it's of great concern because if the people that aren't well known that eventually get Leonardo DiCaprio to help push the film upon release or they get Joaquin Phillip, uh, Phoenix to help push their release have so much effect on the news, the news media, people in the news, the reviews, and public policy, you know, which it does, just, you know, just like um, Supersize Me started a real investigation and concern about fast food. They're doing the same thing and more with animal foods and, you know, healthy animal foods. So, so we got to so, get Tom Brady on this. <laughs> we got <laughs> We got to get... Some top level players. No, seriously though, I mean that's really what it's going to take is some celebrity meat and paleo people to come out and help us. Um, but this is also why. And listen, we'll mention this at the end of the show. But anyone listening now, um, you can donate to this project, and we all should. Every bit counts. Let's not forget that certain political campaigns were thrust to great heights based on twenty five dollar donations. So tell us where we can go to find out more real quick, and then we will also put the website in the show notes. Sure. The easiest thing to do is go to dispellingthelies.com and that'll roll you over to our fundraising page, um, you know, and show you where we are now. At this point, we're at $173,000 and change. And um, it explains why the show is necessary and, and, you know, invites people to come on board. 
because it's a real threat to our access to healthy animal foods and better quality meat, you know, which other films are trying to promote, is that if our position doesn't come out there and show the story, the backstory behind the things that have created the problems even other films are trying to address, it won't solve the problem. People need to know the cause, just like people are looking into the cause of their current health or if they're ill. It's what really changes it, as we know, is getting down to the cause, not the distractions of what may or may not, not the fact that you're not exercising enough, you know, in those kinds of things. What we really need to do is uh, unearth and reveal that whole backstory. And that's something only an investigative documentary can do, you know, because... Yeah, well, let's get into that. That's why yours is different. And that's why I think The Perfect Human Diet, you know, the first uh, documentary you did, that's why it is so great and so well-received and translated into a million languages, because, because it's clear, concise, and it's presenting science and facts. You know, I mean, some of the most pressing stuff was from the paleontologists that were in there. You know, these, listen, you got people looking through microscopes at DNA their whole life. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and they and they tell you that they never have seen, you know, rheumatoid arthritis until grains came on the scene 10,000 years ago. That says something because they're actually looking at samples, right? And so this is the stuff about the perfect human diet and what you did as a host and a documentary filmmaker that I really love and, you know, not to my own horn, but I am a documentary writer. It's a complicated thing to deliver any kind of story, uh, in that format. And it's, it's wonderful. So I know you're going to kill it with this. And, and, and this is why I put out, I wanted people to go to dispellingthelies.com right away. Cause you might be halfway through this and want to just shoot off a donation because this is something really important in terms of politics and investigative journalism, in terms of what we can present as a community, uh, through a known, you know, entity as yourself, who's already proven and be able to step it up to a new level because there's more vegan films in the pipeline. Am I right? Absolutely. And they have two or three coming out a year. In fact, your, your listeners might what like to know that the people, <laughs> the people that did what the health and cowspiracy, their next one is called Seaspiracy. S E A like oh. the oceans, right? Sure. So it, even from those folks, it's, it's relentless. And the thing is, is we can't shrug it off anymore because if we do, um, I think we're going to feel some pain, you know, down the line when you can't get exactly all the kinds of healthy animal foods that you want to get because there's, uh, you know, less distribution or affecting government regulations and it costs more, the taxation goes up, you know, and there could be restrictions on the farming practices, which we have seen, those kinds of things happen in states, certain states. Um, we really need to take it seriously and not keep our heads yeah, in the sand. And it needs to be on the same playing field as these vegan films. It needs to be in movie theaters. It can't be, you know, it, we got to take it to a level that we aim for, that level, right? I mean, that's well, what yeah. has to be done in order to be effective. I mean, anything's effective, but still. Well, that's just it. It can't be just an internet release. It can't be just, you know, a do-it-yourself, uh, you know, sell-it-off-your-website kind of release or whatnot. It really does need to get out to the public in the same fashion that these vegan and vegetarian films come out there, because that's what gets noticed by people who are not online listening to this podcast, you know, that that they're not already followers of 
you know, evolutionary health or primal blueprint, you know, or the perfect human diet principles, you know, none of that kind of stuff. And just as importantly, and maybe more importantly, is that's the only way you can get the traditional press to pay attention. If you're only online, they're even the big outlets, LA Times, for example, Kenneth Turin, who's been there as long as I can remember, which is unfortunately a long time. Um, we spoke when the perfect human diet came out and they are not allowed to review a film unless it plays in a theater for a week, multiple times a day. It has to be, and the public can go there and buy tickets, you know? So it really has to be, we have to up our game. You know, we have to level up and appear in the same fashion that these other films uh, are released in, in order to catch the kind of eyeballs we really need to see to make a difference. You know, if, if we're only selling to the choir and we're only, you know, rehashing material that the choir has been hearing about for the last five or six years, you, you know, it's like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, that was interesting. Okay, I already knew that. Or if someone hasn't seen it, they go, wow, that's really nice, good, and it's good to know that. But it doesn't, unlike a lot of people's dreams, I don't think it has the opportunity to change the world in a, in a, and not overusing that, that distinction in a way that this can, in the same way that the vegetarians are changing the world. And, and they are. I mean, well, just and, the and what year was Perfect Human Diet, the first one? The first one was officially released January, end of January 2012, so we call it January 2013. Right, so it's like we need to, you know, first of all, everyone needs to go watch, <laughs> go watch that documentary. It's awesome. <laughs> and anyone who watches it will then understand how excited I am about you and you doing this because, you know, I just referenced your movie all the time is like if people are interested about it, like, look, you can look it up online or here's the thing. There's a great documentary about the science behind ancestral health. Just, just watch it. Go watch this movie. And then, you know what? Go from there or not. You know, that's the best way to learn it. Well, yeah. And as you know, so that's we need the a part two. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, and it's important for the same kind of reasons that we discovered in the first one, in the first one, because we were doing an investigative doc, because we were out asking new questions from new sources, we ended up finding things we didn't expect. I had no idea we would come across the Max Planck Institute and their um, radioisotopic bioanalysis that can tell us the facts about the authentic human diet instead of theories. You know, who knew? I didn't know going in. And in the same fashion in this one, we're going to go in and there are things we know were, could be found if they, we dug deep enough. But I'm sure that we will also find things that are pretty shocking and compelling that even we don't know about at this moment. But until you take that path, until you dive in, you know, I guess it's popular to say now go down the rabbit hole <laughs> with, all, with all these kinds of things and, and dig deeper than other people are willing to dig for whatever reason. You know, you can't, you can't come up with, a, like I said, the backstory, the real causes of these problems that we want to, to get past and to assure, to protect our future. You know, we have a vested interest in this, in protecting our sources of healthy animal foods and protecting the fact that the availability will be maintained. I mean, the, the new vegan foods that are coming out in mass, like the bleeding burger, <laughs> you know, and all those kinds of things are spreading like wildfire. You know, it's, it's crazy. Some, 
don't know, New Zealand or Australian Airlines or somebody actually are putting them on their planes now. You know, not <laughs> not not so that other people uh, can't still order a regular hamburger, but because they yeah. know that people will buy it. Yeah. Okay. And, so that's just, so funny. So I, and look here, look, I don't know anything about this company. I know there was some stuff going on about maybe FDA having an issue. We don't have to get into any political stuff about a specific entity, but I will say this. I was going out to dinner with a friend not so long ago and he points to the menu. He's like, have you ever had this? And it said the impossible burger. And I go, Oh no. And I thought it was like a local menu thing. I didn't, and he goes, <laughs> and I'm reading it and I'm like, wait, he's like, yeah, it's not me. And, and, and literally I was like, well, hold on a minute. You know, why would I have the impossible when when I can already have the possible? That's not only that, it's not only possible, it's reached its potential over millions of years. Like this thing, I don't know, like that's not why go for the impossible and, um, just have the real thing. So I know that these things are getting mainstream to the point where even people that I know, who some people only eat chicken and meat, but then they like these these kind of burgers, these fake meat, um, or people who are just doing it instead and trying to make it by and be vegan. Um, I also want you to talk a little bit about, for the guys listening, the um, testosterone strange claims that some of these people are putting out there. <laughs> yeah, well, um, just quickly on the plant-based burger and then we'll oh, yeah, come back yeah. to testosterone is that I think from the 50,000 foot view without, you know, jumping all over these people in particular is that these foods and particularly that kind of food is made in a lab and their extractions and breakdowns and genetically modified portions of what used to be what we call a real food. But once they've been turned into these chemicals and recombined to look and taste like a hamburger and bleed like a hamburger, they're not real food. They're, they're this new invention. Right. And that's part of, it's not real. That's part of the question is like, you know, it's actually impossible. Are, that's the thing. It's really, yeah. it's, it's, well, that's it's it. calling it's it out on itself. I mean, so no offense, to but right. No, no, it's yeah. technology, you know, allows that to happen, but our bodies don't recognize that, you know, it's because it's an overprocessed thing um, that, you can eat. Same with synthetic uh, fragrances, right? Same thing, like versus the true essential oil of lemon versus some other junk, some kind of, you know, all those phytates and just things that are, um, our bodies don't have reactions to. Well, and I think, um, again, on the 50,000 foot view, step back a minute and go, okay, well, who are the people, most of these vegetarians and vegans, as far as I understand it, respect and take their lead from or were inspired by well t colin campbell for one or michael pollan for another well t colin campbell if you go and look at any of the interviews he's done in these other films or, or any of the interviews he did like in the new york times and stuff like that is that he doesn't even like the term vegetarian he says plant-based you know and that whole plants not Hyper-processed. That means you bring it into your Plant kitchen. Plant-based is like a way to trick a meter like me to thinking. Like. Right. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, just exactly. I'm like, and, oh, plant-based diet. Okay, of, I eat a lot of plants too. That makes sense. I base my diet on. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And they've kind of co-opted it to make it all sound, you know, put a little smiley face on it instead of a radioactive sign, right? So, and then they got Michael Pollan. And they go four or five, six different food rules. And one is, you know, eat mostly plants. Well, what they don't say is finish the sentence. 
If you finish the sentence, it's especially leaves. Did you know that? So that's <laughs> Have you ever heard that? Yeah, no, no, yeah. So clarify that for our audience. That, that means is that he thinks the, the best things you can get out of plants come from the leaves, whether it be fiber, whether it be you know, nutrition that could be available, um, comes from that part of the plant. You know, not the roots, not the grains, that kind of thing. His emphasis is on the leaves. And that's so it's simple things like that that get misquoted that then become, you know, the law of the land. And because no one comes back and says, well, wait a second. Yeah, that's not the whole sentence. And it makes a difference in what you think, quote unquote, eating mostly plants is. You know, it's mostly the leaves of plants, which would have been, you know, a little clearer. You know, and if you want to be vegan, you know, there, there is the point. Why invent foods that look, act, and are called meat? Using right, the words turkey. meat. Yeah. <laughs> substitutes. You know, a few places are starting to make restrictions on plant-based foods, whether it's this particular company or other ones that make it out of soybeans and, you know, they've been around for twice as long and that kind of thing. They, they just, they can't use the words. They're making it illegal for them to use the word meat. But of course, they want to use the word meat because then it will help their marketing plan. In France, I think it was most recently, made it illegal to call something that's not from an animal an, an animal term. You know, I'm for that. I'm so for that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, have your stuff, but, you know, call it what it is. And, and it is the, that larger, you know, kind of philosophical question is that if you don't like people to eat animals and you don't want animal foods and you don't like animal foods, why are you making fake vegan foods that taste like animal foods? You know? Yeah. And I want to interject on the soy part of that. So, you know, a while back I had a guest on named Tovar Cerulli. He wrote a book called the mindful carnivore from vegan to, sorry, from vegetarian to a hunter. (laughs) He he's uh, he hunts his own food now, but he was once a vegan. And in it, he talks about some of the facts about this circle of life we're all a part of how you can't get out of it. And how he kind of saw at one point, perhaps the point of, is it a little bit unrealistic and elitist to think you can separate yourself from this, you know, incredible, right, deep rooted uh, game we're all involved in here. And part of it was that soy fields, first of all, it's all GMO people. So that's one part of it. But the other part is that so many large animals get shot protecting soy fields. Um, I forget what kind of deer it was or what animal he mentioned, and the numbers were astronomical. Um, so if you're thinking that because you're eating the soy burger, you're protecting animals from being killed, there's animals being killed to make you your fake meat burger. Right. And just like porpoises being caught in the nets of tuna fishermen, you know, is that Nobody wants to see porpoises die, but they're considered um, collateral damage and, and that they're willing to accept. And that's, that's the, as you well, say, right, it's when it's people, removed, right? It's like the, the whole point he was making is when you're removed from the actual act of the killing. But if you go back that so you can have your own vegan organic or sorry, your own organic vegetable garden. But at some point you're going to have to kill something with something. Doesn't matter if it's an organic pesticide, doesn't matter if it's trying to like, no matter how high a fence you build, whatever, gophers, beetles, something's going to happen. And so if you're not willing to do it, your organic farmer will, and you can go buy it at the farmer's market, but you're still a part of, quote, 
killing on some level. So if that's the ethical argument, it's a, it's, I suggest everyone read a mindful carnivore and, and hear out what Tovar has to say about his evolution in, in feeling like a, a killer to now actually going and shooting his own food and eating it, which is an interesting uh, story. But getting back to just some of the false claims and just some of the, you know, how deep do you go behind your principles and then where are they faulty? And that's one of them when you talk about the mass production of soy in our country, not only just GMO, but the large animal shot. So again, you know, we're all a part of it. And so unless you're just eating lettuce, but even then, so there's beetles and other things that are snuffed out in that process. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. All sorts of creatures above the ground and below the ground, you know, when, when you monocrop, see, that's part of it. The soybeans have that additional level. I didn't even know about the deer, but, um, that you just mentioned, mindful. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's a deer or something, but it's a large, like, I don't know, it's a moose like animal, but I believe it's a type of deer that, yeah, yeah. get killed every year. Thousands. Yeah. Right. Some big herbivore. And, um, that's the thing is that people are so distanced from the sources of their foods, as you say, just like that is there's this assumption that plants, you know, it's like the morning show cartoon where the sun rises over the fields of wheat and the kids are dancing merrily through the fields and, you know, pretty music is playing and, oh, this stuff is good for you and we can grow it over and over again and nothing is harmed. And it's just, you can't get any further from the truth is that those things are called, if you haven't heard already, and you probably have, I know you have, but some people in your audience, it's monocropping. That means making one crop on these huge parcels of land that used to have lots of other things, like some of them had forests. <laughs> so those, all, those, all those creatures that lived in the forest, you know, all the little bunny rabbits that everybody thinks are cute, you know, and, and all the ones that they don't think are so cute, and, you know, the birds, and it depends on where you are. But there's also a lot of things that live underground that actually make the food grow in a, in a way that makes it healthy and it kills all that too. And once you've taken all that away, of course, then you have to use artificial fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides and, you know, fungicides to try to keep forcing the ground to produce more and more of these, as you say, modified foods. Because again, the, now those foods have to withstand the barrage of pesticides that are being applied to kill the bugs, you know? So, um, it is, it's, it's a, it's kind of a vicious circle in that way, but the only way out of it, the only way out of any of this is to gain understanding by having knowledge and you can't have secondhand knowledge. It doesn't mean you have to go out and become a hunter. I know that's really not in my DNA cause I wasn't raised properly for that. I, but I acknowledge it and I understand it. Um, uh, but given really extreme circumstances, I you know, wouldn't want to go out with a bow, you know, and go hunting myself. It's uh, I'd, I'd rather help help you all prepare it and make it be healthier. But it's um, oh, and let's interject that. No, no, I, I want to mention just briefly. You know, you were a raw vegan for many years, so hey, it's not that you haven't been down this road. If people don't know CJ's story, you can uh, check out episode one twenty one, where we go more into depth about how he practically dropped dead on a running track at 18 and then searched for the perfect human diet. So that's why we're here. But so you were vegan for what was it? Four, eight years. How long was it? But uh, I was a raw food vegan for five years and, you know, ver versions of that before that. And I did fasting and juice fasting and water fasting. My longest water fast was 20 days, 
you know, crazy stuff. Right. I just <laughs> and, want to mention that you've really, you've been there and have really experimented for very long periods of time, just in the search for health yourself. I mean, you were an unbiased observer who found this, not someone who's always been here and is dogmatic about it. That's what the distinction I'd like to make. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. And I think that's what made it interesting for me too, is that, you know, I went on this search and then brought everyone along with a camera. But I didn't know all these things. And the more I spoke with the, the people who are really in the trenches, you know, not second or third hand information, first person subject matter experts. And then I go back to the studio and I'm looking at the interviews to, you know, they would just jump out. It's like, wow, we've discovered something new and something really important that people need to know if they want to be able to make their best choices. You know, not to say, OK, here's a, here's a new diet plan that comes out of this that you must do because I think it's good for you to do. You know, it's the way we were set up. It's the way we evolved to to be the human species and the things that supported us in getting there. And as much as some people, you know, try to kind of squiggle out of it, <laughs> it's it's still the basis for the things that are going to keep us healthy and keep the healthiest we can be. You know, things have not changed so far that we can get away with uh, many of the things we're doing to ourselves. I think Dr. Eads once said it'll take another 500 generations if people eat junk food to maybe have someone adapt to that kind of thing. But that's only, of course, to if they survive (laughs) in order to have have children. Yeah, to have children that then grow up on that, to have children that then grow up on that. You know, this is it's all of that. Yeah, and I want to also mention here that, and I know you would agree, listen, being a vegan or vegetarian, we don't hate you. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we, I have really good friends that are vegetarian and vegan. It's, but it's a personal choice that is going against your DNA. And so, A, you might run into some problems. You got to be careful. B12, other things, amino acids, right? Sort of got to really be careful and check in with yourself because, you know, sometimes people can go down a wrong hole there. Um, the other thing on that is, I think the issue that you and I have uh, is the proselytization of false information um, and the proselytization of it because, like, go do that. That's a personal choice. But hey, make that choice, you know, you know, on the right reasons. And some people are just, I've known people that grew up and they're just disgusted by the idea and are like gross. And they're not against other people doing it. They're just grossed out by it. Like, that's fine. They just can't kind of can't deal. Um, I know one vegetarian for 17 years that finally got sick and then had to eat meat and they hate it so much. And it grosses them out that they literally hold their nose. <laughs> while they take um, like turkey while they take turkey or chicken and eat it, but they do it medicinally and they feel better and they know they have to do it, but it grosses them out. But they actually do it medicinally at this point because they, they so, so I understand. And no one's forcing or saying you should like the taste of meat or eat it at all. But it's this proselytization of this false claims that are anti really our human DNA that are going to eventually make it problematic politically uh, to a point where things are going to turn in a direction we don't want it to. We already have 50%, I think, of our cattle farms that are um, Temple Grandin designed. I mean, why can't, why not 100? Well, yeah, I, I think upon examination, when, you know, you can change things when you know better. <laughs> You can change things when you learn something, you know, but there have to be a couple of things. You have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to question the way you've been thinking. And then you can you can test things out. And that's like what you said with Temple. She created a way that was much less cruel in, in order to, as they say, harvest the animals, you know, and then sell them as food. 
the and, and it, you know it was a brilliant idea the thing that she came up with because but part of that's like what you said with the other fellow you interviewed is that it's the acceptance that this is the cycle of life it's the acceptance that these are the things we were meant to eat and as you say you can choose not to do that but it's you know you don't have to start making it a religion and producing you know several million dollar movies on and on and on and on to convince people that disinformation and misinformation is what they ought to be following in order to make this change too. You know, it's, it's, you need to know the whole story and not just the slanted story that some folks are telling in order to try to get you on board with them, you know, to get you on their train. And, um, and you're right. It's, you know, who can, if someone has an ethical choice, you know, or as you say, they're grossed out by it. It's like, you know, that's fine, but just be smart about it. It's like I was hoping when the first movie came out that Ellen would watch it. I don't know if she ever did. I know one of her producers did, but not to bash her about being a vegan or to bash her up. But I thought if her audience knew about this science, this new stuff that came out, that then they could, if they wanted to be vegan, they could better take care of themselves. They know what supplements they ought to take. They know what other things they need to watch out for in order to do that healthfully. You know, and that's really nothing new. It's in the medical literature, and doctors you know, have papers that advise them on how to treat vegans and vegetarians and what kind of treatment problems they might run into, you know, and how to help them. So it in the same way, this the new film isn't about ultimately being a negative. It's not about slamming anybody and their lifestyle choices and whatnot. It's about digging up the truth so that we have the best understanding we have about what's happening here. You know, instead of um, most of your listeners may not be old enough, but it's this, it's oddly enough, it's kind of the same way the prohibition started, you know, in, in our country. It was that this growing. I don't want to be chopping meat in my bathtub, <laughs> hiding from the authorities. Well, yeah. And yet, well, it, <laughs> eating marrow bones in my closet. Like, yeah. and well, it sounds extreme. <laughs> you know, if you ever watch the archival footage on this stuff, you go, how did this happen? But it did. You know, it's, there's a lot of things we kind of do this face plant for these days, you know, um, it's like, how did it happen? But it, but that's just it is that we need to stand up for ourselves. I think, you know, we just can't be kind of, Oh, someone else will take care of it. You know, Oh, oh this problem will just go away. Yeah. They can release five more films next year and it won't affect me. But we, I think we really need to get ahead of the curve here. And before something really happens that hurts us, you know, big time, you know, or in the world. It's the, and it's the right timing. It's the right timing because listen, you know, everyone in our audience listening knows paleo is huge out there. It's on everything, especially keto, which is really from paleo primal ancestral and uh, based in the science of our ancestors. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. I don't want to laugh, yeah. but it's just all, you know, these vegan films. Okay. So, um, I mean, we we all know that it's popular. Now we need to add a film to it worth its weight that's going to be, you know, the, the second part narrative to what you've already done really successfully. And, you know, let's move into, you know, who's on board. Aside from Rob Wolf and a variety of some companies, you're really fully transparent about this. You started a nonprofit to do this. I did. Um, so, you know, all your financial reports are, you know, available to everyone online. Um 
you know, and, and looking for contributors in our community. And I think everyone listening, you know, if you've appreciated this podcast and in general and or no CJ, uh, definitely check out The Perfect Human Diet, the first one. And then part two needs to happen. Um, so please contribute whatever you can. Um, let's talk about some of the people that are that are on board for this that, that we may know and, and love. Rob Wolf is one of them. And- right, who boosted his testosterone by <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we never did readdress that. Oh, yeah, that's for right. Let's address that one. We were talking. I was so they made some false testosterone claims. Yeah. Yeah, for a long time, and, and and one vegetarian doctor who's a blogger, he's quoted multiple times in these films as an expert. You know, believes that if you eat a plant based diet, you know, you, I guess we can be medical here. Your erections are going to be you know, more than you have now. You know that you're going to have all this sexual prowess because you gave up meat. And now you're eating plants. And in the film, they even figured out some kind of apparatus to strap to young college men who volunteered and had them eat vegetarian for a couple of days, you know. And overnight, they came back in. Wow, I'm embarrassed to talk about it. Yeah, it really works. It's like probably because they went into ketosis briefly. They're only eating vegetables. They cleaned out all the other crap. I mean, yeah, maybe they had a surge because they were starting to get healthy. And and my word, if you're 21 years old and anything touches you. Right. Let's get yeah. real. let's get real here. So let's get uh, real. Piece of celery will fly by your your yeah. your junk, and you'll yeah yeah. So for, okay. forgive me, yeah, forgive me for distracting your wonderful move into explaining who's behind the film. But yeah, that. But this is what they're saying in these films. Yeah, it is. It's the freaking out men, dude. Guys, no, guys, listening. <laughs> you don't want to do anything to lower or conflict with your testosterone. In fact, that's what being sort of fat adapted and in this. Uh, a, a biosphere in one's own self from carbohydrate dependency that actually increases and will maintain and sustain testosterone for men and women. So we're all about that to begin with. So, you know, these, these vegan films, catch your guy friends out there and tell them to have a burger. <laughs> well, and you know, yeah, it just takes a simple question. Well, gee, why did the Buddhists and stuff recommend it? Uh, you know, a grain-based diet and to get off animal products in order to be calm and be able to meditate and not be distracted by desires of the flesh. Yeah. Then you can move on to Kellogg and Sylvester Graham, who did it for the same reasons, because they had religious beliefs, reasons to believe that, you know, desire was wrong and was bad. So what did they do? They came up with cornflakes and the graham cracker. You know, so you don't have to go back too far to understand that, well, if entire religions were based on eating a plant-based diet in order to be calmer and less frisky, then it's just runs counter to that historical perspective of why people would do that. You know, it's just another one of those questions. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, so it's- right. If there's too many wait a minutes and I remember, Oh, you know what? I had to wait a minute in, we probably already discussed this in the last podcast, but I'll bring it up on this one. I was watching, I think it was forks over knives. I got about 10 minutes in or something, 20 minutes in. And I was like, I just threw up my hands because I, had written a documentary that took place in the Solomon Islands and the South Pacific that's all about Melanesia and Melanesian culture. And like eight minutes in, they claimed that 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 region was healthy because they ate a 
low-fat diet. And I was like, no, they don't. (laughs) And I was like, they love pork. They eat so much fat off that pork and they eat so much coconut and fish. And I mean, they're super low-carb primal probably, but they're like super high fat. You know what I mean? Low-carb. That's why they're ripped. And that's why they're running around. I mean, and I even called up the director and producer of the film who's been to Papua New Guinea 30 times, (laughs) just like for 30 years. And I called her up. I go, I'm not insane, right? Like I just heard this in this movie and I know you don't know a lot about you know, whatever health and fitness, but she's like, no, that's, that's insane. (laughs) So, I mean, I had, and and, you know, had I not had exposure to that culture, which most people don't, most people hear Melanesia and look it up on a map if you're listening, because they're like, where is it? (laughs) You know what I mean? This is really, where is it? Can I get treated for that? You know? Right. So, so most people watching the documentary just think, oh yeah, those islands over there. It's like, no, look into the culture of these people. Um, this is, this is really not true. So, um, I, I've, I've had a, so many, wait a minute, like when you, <laughs> what are some other, what are some other wait a minutes? Yeah. Well, well, it's like, yes, it's when you know better and you go, wait a second. And then you go, well, why isn't anybody asking these questions? You know, and why, why are people just taking it all hook, line and sinker? And I think, uh, you know, much of it has to do with that kind of misrepresentation that people don't say, do that, do what we did. Uh, well, wait a minute, because they haven't heard anything. And because maybe because they're very passive recipients of this information, at least initially, and, and they say, okay, oh, that's, that makes sense. It's, let me give you this example. It's like fat makes you fat. Now we know better. Now we know carbs make you fat. Right. So, you know, or overindulgence in carbs and refined carbohydrates and sugar and all of that can can make you fat. But the thing is, is, is that the connecting of the dots seems so simple and it seems like, oh, gee, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that makes you fast. People, you know, they accept it, you know, even though it was wrong. And it's taken us you know, going on 35, 40 years now to start to turn that around. And, you know, how much havoc has been wrecked in the meantime. So, you know, it's that same kind of thing. And, you know, in those movies, gosh, there's so many, I think probably one of the best uh, things that people could do would look up Nina Teicholds who wrote the big fat surprise. She did a um, review of what the health, you know, she went through and she listed all the claims that they made and whatnot. And at 96% of them aren't true. 96% aren't true. Yeah. That's a lot. And you know, it's funny because there was a blogger, forget God, to say to say that she went around to a bunch of us in the industry and said, "Hey, want to take one of these claims from What the Health and uh, what's your thoughts on it?" And the one they gave me was something about how like they concluded that glucose and carbs have nothing to do with contributing a type two diabetes. <laughs> and then I was like, "That's a good yeah." One. And I was like, "Well, that's, that's I was like, all right, now I'm not just using reverse logic to for that sake, but just based on what we know." It's just interesting that the only way you can naturally reverse type two diabetes is by the restriction of such things. So it's just, yeah. it's just funny how anyone could just look at that on its face and go, "All right, well, that doesn't make sense." Um, Especially with it being so much in the news today, you'd think somebody would get, you know, get their mind, wrap their mind around it, so that when they heard something like that, you'd go, mm, "That sounds different than what I heard yesterday on the Today Show." You know, it's a uh, you know, but that doesn't happen you know, they, because there are uh, doctors and physicians that are predisposed to this belief system get on camera. You know, it's effectively an infomercial. It's not really an investigation or a search that they, they 
throw this stuff out, and because they've got an MD behind their name, then, oh, it must be right. You know, and that's, that's just not always the case. So I think that's a good one they gave you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, let's, I mean, listen, you're the, first of all, I mean, you really are, let's talk about the perfect human diet and the stats on that. I mean, it was his number one documentary in a variety of arenas. And you're the, why are you the right guy to do this? I mean, I know you are. I'm, I, you're my favorite documentarian in this arena. And I just, again, like push your first, uh, documentary all the time. Um, why you? Well, well, I think there's a, a few reasons. Is one, if I'm going to go out there and ask people for money, I think it's really good that I'm a proven filmmaker. That I, I made one that you know hit number one for over a week in two countries and high numbers in the other countries. Has been in the top ten seven times since it was released. You know, and that I've done it before, and I understand distribution now, and I have a brilliant distributor, one of the best ones in the world now. So I have assets that I didn't have when I went out to make my first movie, <laughs> right? That I would hope give people confidence that if they're going to contribute, something's going to happen with their contribution. That's right. You know? Because and, the first and, one without those guidelines and benchmarks and learning as you go in a lot of that way, because documentary and any kind of filmmaking, and I can tell you just right, being in this industry, it's, it's all hodgepodge individual based on every situation. There is no uh, set, you know, standard something for every single thing. And you once you do it once and then another time it begets expertise which again you're not doing this for the first time well that's just it you can make different choices you know it's that you can choose to go into new york and do an interview like i did and hire a cinematographer who's you know better than you know the average joe who's and and you know capture something remarkable with a camera that will push it into the future shooting more than 4k so whatever comes to us over the next 10 years, there's a way for people to see it, you know, or you can run around with a handheld camcorder and, you know, that is no longer, and I'm not discouraging anyone in particular now, that happens all the time. And part of it is future-proofing what people are giving me money to do. And, and also because you want the, like the first film, it's now kind of a, a legacy thing. And it lives in perpetuity because people are interested in the subject matter. And in, so, and that cycles back around a couple of times a year. People go, oh, well, I'm interested in diet. You know, it's January 1st. Why not? You know, it's, you know, it's summer. I'm interested in diet. So, so there are things that draw people naturally to, um, to watching that, to promoting it. Now, as you say, it's in 13 languages worldwide, available everywhere if you can get on a computer. And that's really that's really. I never expected it, and I think it's really wonderful because it, it has the opportunity to help a whole lot of folks. And um, in the same fashion, I would hope that people have the confidence that it's, it's not going to be wasted, and I know how to budget, and I'm not going to you know, fly all over the world for stuff that isn't relevant, potentially, uh, just out of curiosity. Because you know, the truth is, is there's only so much you can put into 90 minutes. There's only so much stuff you can cover um, effectively or with enough depth to um, add to the go beyond adding to the conversation, but bring new understanding and new knowledge to whoever your audience is, whoever the viewer is, and um, you know. So, so those are reasons, right? and, and that's where your history and experience in broadcasting and and being see okay, having to host, see, write, and produce things that are delivering information in a concise, efficient, very time crunched way. 
And that is the same here. It's the same with Perfect Human Diet, the first one, which is why it's so great. It's just, boom, it's everything you need to know. <laughs> I mean, you want to know more. That's why I'm so glad you're doing another one. And there does need to be more. More has happened since then, of course. And and more of this uh, field needs to be covered. We have new big concerns that we really, that it will behoove us to stand up for ourselves and go after it. And, um, you know, get that full knowledge and understanding out there you know, to the world. It not only will it help individuals and people, just as you might hope it would, you know, with their own health and well-being and their families and their friends, but it can affect our access, our unfettered access to these things. And it's it's important to set the record straight. Yeah. You know, you just you can't always turn your back on the things that are happening around you, you know, until it creates a much bigger problem. And um and there's other places to go digging for that. To look for the truth that, as you said, you know, I'm a journalist. I'm an, I'm an investigator. I don't, you know, I don't make products. You know, I don't grow things. <laughs> I don't, except, except, you know, my interest is in getting to the truth, you know, with no other, um, nothing other than that, you know, and helping bring that forward and sharing that with everybody who's interested. And um, so I think that's, that's worth noting as well yeah. is that, you know, I'm in, I'm in the game for this. I started a new nonprofit, so it would be transparent. If I'm asking you for your money, you should be able to go there at the end of the year and see how it was spent. If you're interested, you know, and that, it, that it wasn't wasted and it wasn't squandered and it, you know, didn't go to fees that I should be picking up myself, you know, which sometimes, you know, all sorts of shenanigans happen in filmmaking, as you probably know. That's right. So, uh, and, let, and let me mention, too, you know, because uh, I'm looking at it here, you know, Perfect Human Diet 2, this this film we're all, you know, uh, pushing for here. Uh, Rob Wolf, one of our favorites and kind of family member of Primal Blueprint, he said, quote, this is an opportunity for us to have an answer to films such as Cowspiracy, What the Health, and Forks Over Knives. Is it, it sorry, forks, forks Over Knives. It is critically important to get both the health and sustainability story set straight. Yeah, and it it's really great that someone of that stature and that, uh, you know, celebrity within the world that we run around in understands how important it is. You know, um, I'm sure there's Better ways of saying that Rob was good enough to be in the first film, too, because he thought it was important and recognizes this is a special answer, you know, an opportunity for us. So he wants us to get on the opportunity. Yeah. So get on board, everyone. Go to dispellingthelies.com. And again, check out The Perfect Human Diet, the first one, and you will get so jazzed up about them doing a second um, one. Then again, that was 2013, you said. So it's been a long time and time for a redo uh, slash addition. And CJ Hunt is uh, the filmmaker. You can look him up and see his work at, is it still cjhuntreports.com? Yes, you can go there and find out more about the first film. You can see the, about the nonprofit, and you can see about Perfect Human Diet too. You know, that's at the top of the page now. <laughs> it's like great for all these reasons that we've been talking about. That it's really critically important that we get on this, and it's in a, in a, it's time sensitive. It's like we're, we're not just asking people to be on, get on board a year from now. It's the movie needs to be getting into the world a year from now. <laughs> you know? Right, we're raising raising money right now. This is active, so yeah. you know, jump on yeah. there. They're in, uh, you know, pre production. I guess you would say. Yes, actually, we're in production, and 
every little bit helps and it makes all the difference in the world in getting it completed and through post-production and, and out there where you can see it in movie theaters. Excellent. <laughs> Yay. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for this endeavor, for all of your investigative efforts. Um, anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? You know, nothing in particular that I don't think we've talked about, except for the fact that it really is, you know, once again, I'm being redundant, but important that we stick up for ourselves and, and the things that we understand that we want to make sure other people at least get exposed to in order to have the same kind of opportunities that have been life-changing for us. And, uh, you know, so it's time for us to dig deeper and help bring out the backstory that's going to help assure that continues for us and our families and our friends and, and also reaches a whole lot of other people that would love to know what you know. Thank you so much again, CJ Hunt and DispellingTheLies.com. You can go check out and look uh, on iTunes and elsewhere for The Perfect Human Diet to check out the first documentary he did. Thanks again for coming on. You bet, Elf. Thanks for having me. Hi, listeners. It's Brad Kearns. I'm so excited to introduce you to our all-new comprehensive online multimedia course called the 21-Day Primal Reset. This is everything you need to go step-by-step into a lifestyle transformation and go primal. Go all in. Make the commitment. We are here with an amazing online course with over 60 videos taking you through step-by-step daily challenges in the areas of diet, exercise, and lifestyle. You also get to download an assortment of print and audio materials. We have an awesome app that helps you engage with the community while you're doing your 21-day reset, daily inspirational emails, keeping you focused, giving you tips and tricks. We have shopping lists, PDFs. Oh, it's a great collection of items all on the login portal. As soon as you register, instant and lifetime access, everything you need. What a great gift to give someone, family, friend, loved one that you want to share the gift of primal living with. And even if you're an expert long-term, what a great way to kind of tune up and get that reset going, build some momentum if your goals are reducing excess body fat, being healthy, and staying with the Primal program for the rest of your life. That's what this journey is, is a kickstart to generate long-term lasting lifestyle change. And when you enroll at primalblueprint.com, we have a wonderful selection of add-on product kits at an extreme discount to thank you for enrolling in the digital course. So you can throw in some wonderful Primal Kitchen products or Primal Blueprint supplements. Check it all out at primalblueprint.com. Everyone deserves a reset. You deserve a reset. Make the commitment for 21 days and we'll be with you every step of the way to guide you. 